Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got uh, Ryan Ham on me, uh, Coach Ham, actually, with me uh, over at St. Leo University down in Florida, and really excited to have you. So thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks, Bailey. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to having some dialogue and conversations here that hopefully can help some people out. Yep, absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of get started. What was, uh, where did you grow up? What was growing up like? And, and how did it all get started for you? So I grew up in Maysville, Kentucky, a small town about an hour southeast of Cincinnati, about an hour northeast of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, in a, a real family rich environment, small town, down to earth people where basketball runs deep, uh, packing high school gyms, middle school gyms, AAU tournaments. Uh, so from an early age, a basketball was put in my hand and uh, fell in love with it. And I think a lot of that has to do with exactly what you're talking about uh, as far as like just growing up around it and having it be a part of your life from an early age. And you can make that decision whether you want to fall in love with it or pass it to the side. And for me, it was definitely something that I, I fell in love with and very thankful for my hometown, try to get back there as much as I can. But um a little difficult sometimes, uh, definitely during a, a pandemic, but I love Maysville. It's been great to me and I'll, I'll forever call it home. Yeah. So did you have any siblings growing up? Yeah, two younger brothers. Uh, so as you can imagine, back backyard and uh, driveway basketball, one-on-one games and course and you name it. It uh, wasn't always basketball. It could have been baseball, soccer, football, any of them. Uh, very competitive. And I think that drove us to anything we did academically, who was going to have the highest GPA or ACT score. Uh, we were always kind of competing against each other, even though we're all about two and a half years apart, that bar was always trying to be raised by, by someone out of the three of us, but we all, all kind of grew up around basketball. I'm the only one that's kind of stuck with it. Uh, my middle brother's in Washington DC right now um, as an accountant and my youngest brother is actually in med school. He's finishing up his rounds and, uh, looking to go be a be a doctor. Uh, so both, all three of us have kind of taken our our paths differently. Uh, not in Kentucky, obviously anymore. None of us are, but uh, they're they're definitely huge pieces of advice in my life that I can go back to and talk to about anything. And I think having opportunities growing up on the playing surfaces and all that played a factor in that. Yeah, so was was competition always relevant in your family? Uh, for sure. Uh, I, myself and my middle brother, because we're closer in age, I'm the sure. oldest. Uh, we we kind of drove each other crazy at times, whether it's one-on-one games in, in the driveway or even academically. I think more so with us, like him and I, the, the academic piece, uh, He was he's a smart guy. Uh, so he's always trying to beat this test score or this GPA or finish higher in this class. Um, and I think now you, we kind of see it in the like social realm, like 
what city are you going to live in next? Or how, <laughs> how, how many people can you connect with? All of those things. So different ways of competitive banners, but they still exist for sure. And my younger brother, we're five years apart. So there wasn't as much athletically that we could compete against how we get on the golf course where it's a little, little uh, doesn't matter how old you are or your experience. Yeah. <laughs> we get out there and we definitely compete. Um, but it, we're, we're way more... I think trying to help each other out versus that competitive side uh, outside of the golf course. Yeah. Obviously being in Florida, I think you might have the upper hand at, at, at golf outside of basketball. There's not much time that you get outside of it, but when you can, right. I'm sure you have the upper hand. We both have busy schedules. Um, obviously him in med school, me with college basketball, but my location definitely allows me to, to play a little bit more than he does and time of the year and months and, temperatures don't always play a factor with me as they do him yeah. uh, we haven't we haven't been able to play in the last couple summers so hopefully this summer that changes and we can kind of see who has bragging rights yeah absolutely um so with uh academics being a central focus as you mentioned how did that was that like something your parents instilled in you as as being uh good academically or is that just come kind of naturally um i it was definitely something that they didn't want us to push off to the side or, or take for granted. I think how you do one thing is how you do everything or how you approach things specifically. Not everybody's going to be a 4.0 student, but how you approach it and how you work uh, academically, I think, translates in a lot of different areas of your life because there's going to be subject areas uh, that you may not like or you're better at than others, but you got to be able to push through those. And the same thing is going to happen in life, whether it's dealing with a coworker at work or a job responsibility that you don't necessarily like, could be a neighbor, any of the which, you got to be able to push through that. Uh, so I think more of those qualities were instilled in me from the, the parental side of things. But I just, I think I've always had an intrinsic way about me to just try to be my best. Uh, I have this thing where I say be a champion and that carries over to everything that I do. Uh, so champion friend, champion brother, champion coach, champion student, whatever it is. Like I want to be a champion at it. I want to be the best I can be. Um, and that competitive nature that I think athletics drove out of me carried over to academics where I wanted to get A's on tests. I wanted to finish with a 4.0. I wanted to finish better than the person next to me. Uh, so that drove me. Um, and then uh, for a lot of people, uh, it's a little bit easier to procrastinate, I would say. And that's just never been me. Like, I hate yeah. putting things off to the side. So uh, getting things done ahead of time and showing that uh, showing that I want to do well and showing that it matters to me, I think, helps with my relationships, whether it be professors in college or teachers growing up. Uh, I kind of had some of that benefit of the doubt on some assignments where it's like okay he's giving his best he's on top of it he's not waiting till the last minute to get something in all right boom uh they'll work with you a little bit more you can have those conversations where uh some people don't have that opportunity if they're waiting to the last minute yeah absolutely and that that's a great point too i'm sure we'll touch on it here in a second about coaching and just those those uh qualities that they translate into preparation and everything for coaching but going back to high school you know, you played, played basketball. When do you start realizing like, Hey, I have an opportunity to play at a higher level, um, here after, after high school. Well, I, I really didn't think I wanted to play in college. Uh, I was surrounded by a lot of good players at the high school level. 
uh, fortunate to play with some guys that have played professionally and in the NBA and national champions. So they stole a lot of the spotlight from, from me. And I didn't have much responsibility other than just get the ball past half court and get it to one of these guys. They're yeah. really good. Uh, so I didn't, I, I knew I could play a little bit. I always believed in myself and had some good games or opportunities where it's like, okay, uh, you can do that. But I, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. So I was kind of looking at the like managerial route college wise. Um, but it was really my junior year summer playing AAU basketball. I uh, had a really good summer playing with some, some great guys and started to get some scholarship opportunities. And that interests me because until then it was just being a role player on a really good team and didn't know exactly what that meant as far as a future playing in college. Um, so ran with that, had a solid senior year high school wise, uh, but still wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. Uh, but I had a high school teammate that was going to play at, at Thomas Moore where I played right outside Cincinnati. And he said, just, hey, just come to an open gym. Like, come out, play. Doesn't mean anything. Like, they've already stopped recruiting you because you told them you didn't want to play. Uh, but just come play. Like, nobody really cares. We need another guy, whatever. So I went out. I uh, hadn't touched a basketball. This is six weeks beyond um, our high school season wrapping up hadn't touched it I've been working out running lifting doing some different things but I literally had not touched a basketball once showed up to the open gym um, and had a really good like night uh, playing wise and felt like I was in better shape maybe than, than some of their guys and afterwards one thing led to another and before I knew it I was committed to play at Thomas More for the next four years and I, if my friend wouldn't have had that conversation or persuasive talk to just come play I don't think that would have ever happened but I'm so thankful for that I tell them every time I talk to them like you're the whole reason I, I played college basketball because I was kind of moving on to other directions and maybe starting some different routes uh in my own life but that that was awesome and I wouldn't change anything about it I was a little hectic because at that time I mean it's it's summertime. You already got your, your college plans. Your parents are already thinking like, all right, he's going here, this scholarship, whatever. Uh, and had to revamp completely uh, the plans, but it, it was definitely worth it. And I loved every bit of it. Yeah. Did you have a, a, a place you were going to school? Um, yeah, I was actually going to go to Xavier um, in Cincinnati. I was set up to be a student manager there with Chris Mack. My high school coach had a, a really good relationship with him. I had I met with them several times on getting things started that summer, worked the camp actually with them. I'd already uh, been approved in that process and was rolling with it. Um, and then, like I said, it was a complete 180 flip, just a random summer Wednesday night, going to, going to play in an open gym that I didn't think was going to mean anything other than a good night of fun with friends and playing some basketball for the first time in a while. Uh, but it actually ended up changing my directory or trajectory for the next four years. And yeah, it, it was definitely interesting. Not a lot of people would ever believe that. Um, and definitely Chris Mack at Louisville now and having a lot of success. I think it would have been a neat opportunity uh, to learn from them for sure. No doubt. But like I said, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade anything. Yeah. You're just too good. They couldn't ignore you. So <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I had a really good night. Uh, and <laughs> like I said, they had, they had talked to me before. Sure, sure. Uh, but I had been upfront honest with them that I wasn't sure I wanted to play college basketball. And uh, just something about having the ball in your hands and being out there with, 
with guys that, uh, especially having a high school teammate that was there with me, I think played a huge factor. And I don't know, that the ball gets in my hands and it's just like, I don't know, magic. And I couldn't couldn't pass up the opportunity if I had four more years to, to do that versus giving it up. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes makes total sense. I want to go back to a point you just you just talked about a little bit ago, just playing on a really good team, getting the, getting the ball across half court and just being able to dish it out to some guys that, that were pretty good high level players. But what what made you maybe more of a, a I already know who you are as a person, but more of a team oriented guy instead of more about all about me. Like how why were you a team oriented person? Well, we talk about having two brothers. Like, I don't think I could be selfish in a household knowing that I wasn't going to be able to always get it my way. I was going to have to share at a very early age. Um, and then I can also thank my like youth coaches for that. I mean, we were, were a huge fundamental uh, team and sharing the basketball. And I'm very thankful that I played for coaches growing up that weren't always about wins and losses, but more so about teaching the game, teaching teamwork. Um, and, and life lessons through the game of basketball versus so caught up in winning and losing. And uh, when you have a bunch of great guys and, and I mean, high school guys that I played with are, are guys that I'd played with since fourth grade. So I knew them as a, as a friend and not wanting to let them down. And I think you can uh, accomplish a lot of great things when you deeply and genuinely care about the people that you're trying to accomplish it with versus uh, kind of everybody out for themselves or your own personal agendas and accolades that maybe you're trying to achieve. Uh, and then we, we also knew like we had, we had one guy, uh, Darius Miller, who's played in the NBA, played in, at University of Kentucky national champion there. Like we also knew he was the guy. So it wasn't like anybody was going to steal that thunder uh, from him or, or lightning from him. He was going to be able to, to be the man, no matter who else was on the team. Uh, but then also just uh, knowing knowing where where else I've I've won in life. Like I, I never want to lose a game. I'm super competitive, but at the same time, like having a, a relationship off the court with with Jesus and God. Like I just I know that um, like He was selfless. He served others. I think being a point guard naturally, you have to be willing to serve others. Like you got to get the ball out in different ways and. I always kind of use that analogy to myself and the point guards that I coach now uh, specifically, but just having that mentality of it's not about me, it's never going to be about me uh, really helps for sure. And uh, sometimes that, that can be difficult when you get caught in the heat of the moment, but you always got to be grounded and, and know exactly what you stand on and who you stand with. Absolutely. So did you have a favorite player that you wanted to emulate growing up uh yes and no I mean I a lot of it came from like who my dad liked or who he had on tv he's always like watch this guy or watch that guy um but I, it a lot of it also got caught up in who my friends liked and I couldn't like the same guy like you gotta like somebody yeah. different. So they were a Kobe fan you had to be a T-Mac fan or they were an AI fan you had to be a Steve Nash fan uh-huh a lot of that got caught up in it but as far as just pure playing wise, I, I just said his name, but Steve Nash for me was someone I always just enjoyed playing. He made it look effortless uh, with the basketball in his hands, his passing, his shooting. And I felt like I, I never saw, at least watching him growing up, a teammate that didn't like him. 
because they knew he was going to get them the ball. He was going to make their life easier. He was going to put them in positions where they could score and they could be successful. And he's always going up, putting his arm around somebody and talking to him. I, I, you always see the pictures of him and Amari Stoudemire, like, grouped together when they had their great Phoenix team. But I think just hearing what his teammates had to say about him, he was famous for all those touches. I think people, if you go back and study and Google, like, he's the one that really made that popular. Like, the amount of touches that you have, hand claps or claps on the shoulder, like, hey, let's go, man. He really made that popular, the positive energy, the positive leadership. Uh, so that always stuck with me. And then just being a point guard myself, like, he, it was natural because that was the same position I was playing. Yeah, that's a good good guy to emulate for sure. Yeah, I, I never got to Steve Nash's level, but I was always <laughs> trying, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So what about coaches? Do you have some some really good coaches growing up uh, that really kind of were mentors to you and helped you get to where you wanted to be? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm super, super thankful. And um, I don't know what – I don't know if I'd be where I am right now if I didn't have those coaches at an early age. Um, I played for the same guy fourth grade through eighth grade. And like I said, he, he really laid the foundation as far as teamwork, fundamentals, uh, basketball IQ, and um, like got me off to a great start from, from knowing the game of basketball. And then in eighth grade, I, I kind of transitioned over uh, to another guy, uh, Mike Conway, who was like a second father to me, I call him. I might call him sometimes before I call my dad after games or, or big recruits landed or whatever it is. Something big happened in my life. He's somebody that that I'm calling or if I'm going home to Maysville and wanting to catch up, whatever it is, like he's he's at the top of my list. And I think when I started playing for him is when I really started. You talk about that belief as a player. Uh, he really instilled the confidence in me like, hey, you're you're pretty good. Like, hey, you can do this. Hey, let's work on this to get you better. Uh, but then also just like who he is as a person, how he treats people, um, his work ethic, I think, carried over into me. There were never times where we may have a six to eight o'clock practice or after school practice. And he's always there and he's always down to stay 30 minutes, an hour, an hour, 30 later, working with individual guys, whether it be on shooting or free throws or just talking to them. And I think like those qualities more so than anything I picked up on, like, he could have been doing a million other things. He had sons of his own. He had family at home. Uh, he had no relation to any one of us on our team, uh, but would take, pick us up, take us all to games together. Uh, no school bus. Like it was the back of his expedition. We're all hopping in seven deep and, and driving to tournaments all across the state of Kentucky and Ohio and wherever he could find tournaments for us. And he didn't have to do that. He very could have easily said, I've got my own kids. I've got my own life. But he loved basketball and he loved kids and he loved helping kids with basketball. And that's been huge for me. Um, and then I, I had great high school and college coaches too. Obviously, you have different relationships sometimes with them because there's quote unquote more at stake, uh, especially at the college level with wins and losses. But even at the, the high school level for us, knowing that we had such a talented group and high expectations on us, there was a lot more pressure built in to win. Uh, but my high school and college coaches uh, also, like, there, there are huge factors and guys that I can call at any time. But I also do want to say my freshman year, uh, I was playing JV basketball, 
and uh, the the guy the coach actually left he took another head job after my freshman year but the energy required for everyday practice that I bring I try to bring now every time to to our practices even when I played started with him because he's diving on the floor with us he's all he's all over the place and I remember he always says something to me that stood out it doesn't always apply to everyone but from where I grew up, like, like I told you, it's a small town. Like there's not, there's not a lot of big city mentality to any of us, but he was always saying to me, like leadership didn't have an age. So as a freshman, like he wanted me to, he knew he saw qualities in me that he's like, Hey, you're, like, it doesn't matter if he's a senior. It doesn't matter if he's a varsity starter. Like if he's not working hard. Let him know about it. Like leadership does not have an age. You can tell him how you feel and hold him accountable. Then he always talked about, like, he always said, be a big city guard. And I never knew what that meant coming from, like, a small town. Like, we go to big cities, quote-unquote, Cincinnati or Lexington for a tournament. But be a big city guard. And I thought, asking him later, like, what he meant with that, it had nothing to do with how I played. But it had more to do with my my communication and vocal. I think him growing up in a city, like, you playing out on, on playgrounds and parks, like, you got to talk or they're going to forget about you and you're never getting back in the game or you're going to sit at the end of the bench. Or you're going to be sitting on a playground bench wondering why you didn't get picked up for a game. Like you got to be comfortable opening your mouth. Um, and sometimes it's saying some stuff that some other guys may not want to hear, but I, I never knew what he meant until later down the road. I, I went back to, to one of his practices or games and asked him like, what were you talking about when you were telling me to be a big city card? I'm a freshman in high school, never been to the big city or grew up in a city in my life. Like, what are you talking about? And that's when he said that to me and it, it sticks with me. Now, obviously, like I said, it doesn't apply to everyone, but in that situation for me, it, it was definitely something that I, I now see what he was trying to get out of me and how much just being a vocal leader uh, sometimes is the best thing. And there's going to be guys that lead by example and never say a word, but they're always going to do the right thing. You can always count on them. And you need those guys. Like you need them in your locker room. You need them in your life. They're huge factors, but you also need sometimes somebody to open their mouth and verbalize it to you, what they're asking of you or what they need from you to kind of move in the right direction uh, or in a direction that helps the team, helps you individually, whatever the situation might be. Uh, and that, that, was, that was huge for me. Yeah, man, there's there's so much great stuff in just what you just said. But one thing that I think about a lot of times is is that confidence and the belief that some of those coaches and maybe even your, your teammates and your friends kind of helped instill in you at a young age. Because when you understand that uh, you have some confidence in your abilities, it comes from your preparation, obviously, first and foremost. When you have people around you that believe in you, it gives you – uh, a mentality that you can go and do just about anything if you work hard enough at it. And so obviously that was instilled in you from some great coaches that, that believed in you. Um, and obviously it's something that probably still is important in your life as you, as you coach other people and helping develop them as people. Um, yeah. Confidence is key in everything that you do. And, and you're, there's going to be situations that maybe you don't have experience in or you're uncomfortable uh with but like if you don't believe in yourself and you don't have other people believing in you it, it's hard to accomplish anything and so much of this mentality of like I want to prove someone wrong well that comes from people not believing in you but for me it's always been more so like I 
I don't want to let the people down that do believe in me. So instead of trying to go out and prove X, Y, and Z wrong, like who's to say they don't believe in you? Like that's just some outside naysayer voice in your head that's saying they don't think I'm good enough or they don't think I can do this versus the other approach to it. You've got all these people in your circle that have helped you get to the point that you're at or know you're capable of being more. I don't want to let those people down. And that could be siblings. That could be friends. That could be parents, coaches, anybody. Uh, but that, that whole, and I, I get it. Like there's definitely chips on the shoulders where you feel like you've been doubted or wronged or whatever. You're, you didn't get a job or you didn't get the playing time, whatever the situation is. But for me, I've always tried to make that secondary versus the primary focus of, hey, I've got, I've got some great people in my corner and they believe in me and I don't want to let them down. So that contributes to the work ethic. That contributes to the confidence because they're the ones at the end of the day that are going to be there win or lose. The people that quote unquote doubt you or like they were never really on your side anyways. So if they're, if they're not there at the end of the day, you didn't lose anything. You still have the people that are there for you the most. And that that's, that's a huge thing. I think a lot of people can kind of miss out on is always trying to prove somebody wrong. What about the people that are there for you that believe in you that you want to show that they're right, like show them that you're right uh, for giving you the confidence, giving you their time, giving you their energy to boost you up and make you feel good. Um, and, and also call you out on what you do wrong. Like those are the people that you got to remember at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and going on that too is, is surrounding yourself with people that believe in you, but at the same time, not just believe in you and they kind of say you're always going to be great, but people, like you said, when you're playing that speak truth in your life and are honest with you, that give you honest feedback and that will help make you better. Just like iron sharpens iron, that type of mentality. And speaking of that, you know, like what, what about your parents? Were they pretty impactful in your life? And, and were they those types of people that really instilled that in you as well? Absolutely. The, the constructive criticism piece is such a, a critical component to any kind of growth. Like you, you got to get out of your box sometimes and you got to have somebody tell you like, hey, you're not good enough right now or hey, you're doing this wrong, but you're you can do it better. Like you can be better. You can be better. Um, and I think both my parents uh, were, were huge like role models for me in that sense. Like I understand being uh from the area that we grew up in a lot of opportunities maybe aren't there for some people in a, in a small town but like they they never were short-sighted in that they were always thinking big picture and, and helping myself and my two younger brothers like get to where we wanted to get to and the amount of time and energy and sacrifice that they made as individuals and as parents like i can never thank them enough for but the amount of times coming back from games or getting home from games and uh, or getting a report card back or anything, just having those healthy conversations with your parents uh, that some people miss out on or, or take for granted or, or don't always have. I, I was lucky. I was fortunate to have, to have both mom and dad in the picture uh, from day one and also grandparents on both sides that were the same way those truthful healthy conversations hey like what you just did is not okay and I know you're better than that or hey you did a really good job with this I'm proud of you hearing those words uh, on a consistent basis uh, definitely definitely helped me uh, to this day and, and I'm very very thankful for that 
Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing more powerful than having like really solid parents. So you move on into Thomas More, and um, what was that experience like? Was it just amazing? Like you mentioned earlier, was it a good experience? Yes, I, I actually talked to both my college roommates this morning. One of them just got engaged, and one of them's up for a, a huge promotion. So reached out to both of them today, just coincidentally. Um, but I wouldn't trade those four years for anything, basketball-wise, social life, a- academically, getting my degree, the amount of people uh, that I was able to connect with and encounter that are still friends to this day, the lessons that I've learned. Um, having that responsibility is the first time you're really like, all right, it's on you to get your stuff done. You don't have somebody breathing down your neck or constantly reminding you or being there as a, as a helpful source. You really got to grow up uh, and ma- the maturity process in those four years. Who you come in as as a freshman and who you leave as, as a senior are, are two totally different people. And there may be even minor changes within those four years where you, where you have different stints or stunts in your life that, that shape you and mold you into who you leave as. Um, but I'm very thankful for those opportunities. I mean, I wasn't super far from home. I got to play the game uh, that I love with guys that I love, be around great coaches and, and people that believed in me. We won a lot of games. Uh, so that always, always helps out. But then it also, I feel like it prepared me for the real world. It prepared me uh, for my coaching profession, but it also shaped me from a character standpoint uh, in a lot of ways too. You talk about the people, it always comes back to the people, like the people that you're around, uh, you, you, you turn into in some regards and in some shape of your life. So having quality people around me on a, on a daily basis, I can see different characteristics from each of them in my own life or how I process things, how I treat people. I try to treat people, how I approach my, my job. Any of those things are, are characteristics and qualities that I, I just picked up along the way from, from great people. And Thomas Moore had a, had a great factor in that. And I, I go back every chance I get to, to hang out with those guys and, and talk to my college coach and AD there and professors even still in the academic realm. All of those people are still parts of my life to this day. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know if you've heard the quote, it's show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that's that's so true. You know, talking about you're talking about experiences and opportunities that shaped you. Did you have any that really stand out, um, you know, when you were growing up or in college? What were those? Did you have any particular experience? None that completely jump out. I think the best thing I ever did, though, uh, to like from a coaching standpoint, I was, I was finished up my freshman year at Thomas More. The AD there had a son who was going into uh, sixth grade. And I remember that summer between freshman and sophomore year, uh, he had watched me my freshman year and I guess heard some different things about me that I wanted to get into coaching. Uh, so he reached out to me to coach his, his son's grade school team, AAU team uh, in sixth grade. And I, I thought that was a great idea. Like, I, I'd love to coach, like give me an opportunity. Uh, and I remember we showed up, it was a Saturday night. We had practice earlier that day. Um, and then he had set up some tryouts or whatever. And I remember the guys I grew up with and the talent that kind of we had, and I'm expecting like, all right, this is the AD son. Like we're going to, we're going to have some high level guys in here. Like we're going to be great. 
but it was really uh, the talent pool wasn't great. I think we had a total of seven kids show up that night for for the tryout on a random Saturday night in October and November. Uh, so we kept everybody, and we we uh, I coached that team, and I really found out way more I think about coaching in those three years of coaching middle school age kids and really having to teach the game like you just watch it on tv you watch the nba or college basketball and you think coaching is this uh but like at that level there's sometimes not much teaching that goes into it like they're established as who they are as players in some regards yeah you can tweak some things and make some minor adjustments and, and help them grow player development's a huge part of it uh but you got to really teach the game uh, for, for, for the younger ages and really like that camp clinician type of uh, coaching mentality. I, I think I was able to develop uh, maybe earlier than some people having that opportunity. Uh, but then like keeping in contact with those guys, like some of them are finishing up college right now and seeing their maturation process, who they were as a six year. Some of them didn't play high school basketball at all. Like it was just a, a quick little three-year run uh, playing some basketball then, but like seeing who they've grown into, things that they're accomplishing, like those are the things also that coaching comes back to, like the relationships that you establish with those guys, still getting random texts from guys like, hey, coach, I hope you're doing well. Hey, coach, I just saw you. I haven't coached these guys or, or, or been around them in, in five, six, seven years, but knowing that uh, you played a positive role in someone's life, especially at those ages when it's so crucial. They're trying to figure out who they are. They're starting to get peer pressure from different people uh, in those middle school ages and, and really, truly believing that I played a positive role in their life, not just basketball-wise, but who they are as, as people and hearing some of the things that they say and random texts or calls that I'll get, even sometimes from their parents. Like, those are those are memories you can't take back. And we didn't, we, we, we didn't play the most high profile tournaments or, or games. We played a lot of rec league Sunday afternoon games at a, at a sports complex just down the road. Uh, but I, I figured out way more about coaching. I think in those three years than than a lot of, a lot of people do in a lifetime just from having that opportunity and very thankful for that. Uh, and, that's a huge thing. I don't know if that entirely answers your question. I mean, I've been able to work some high-profile Division One camps and been around some NBA guys and training camps. So, like, of course, you can get enamored with the, the spotlight um, and getting to pick those people's brains and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with them or working out with, with guys that play at the highest level is always, always fun and always uh, something that I'll never take for granted. Uh, but I think... I think those those three years, that opportunity of coaching middle school age kids uh, as a college freshman, sophomore through my senior year, I mean, I, I, I still had braces in the trial. Like I, I'm a college kid with braces on my teeth, coaching guys that are in braces themselves. It's six <laughs> and seventh grade. It's like, I, I remember some of the parents like, this is the guy you picked out to coach. No wonder we had seven players show up for a trial. Like, Who is this kid? They're like, like, oh, this is this is the eighth guy, eighth guy yeah, trying out. <laughs> Same kid, like he's trying out for the team. Yeah. Uh, so no wonder uh, some of that is why it played out. But I, I loved it. I love those guys. And like I said, seeing who they are now and what they're accomplishing in their life, graduating college and turning into to grown men with uh, 
wedding dates set and different things. It's awesome. It really is. Yeah. And you got to coach a little bit through college and you played through college as well. What did it look like when you were about to graduate and you wanted to get into coaching? What was that experience like and how did you end up where you ended up? Stressful, uh, stressful for sure. Um, traveling a lot, uh, working camps and, and trying to network. Like I said, I, I knew in high school I wanted to coach. I knew in high school. Uh, so having the opportunity in college to play was, was great. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to coach. So there was the, the graduate assistant positions, you would think uh, somebody that's not used to it or doesn't know much about it, you're like, oh, you can just get a GA for this. <laughs> it's a lot harder than that. It's a lot harder than just saying, hey, be, become a GA and you'll, you'll work your way up and you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, so traveled everywhere, Florida to Michigan to Butler. I mean, a lot of different places uh, trying to meet people and, and chase after some opportunities. I'd actually accepted uh, a couple positions that were unpaid positions, like volunteer-esque uh, GA positions. Um, but at the time, like finishing that graduation year, I wasn't sure financially if that was the best decision um, for me. So after sending out countless emails and really uh, reflecting and, and talking about it with the people that like you do rely and trust on, I actually backed out of both of those and taught a year of high school math uh, at my hometown, the high school that I grew up in. But also I knew it the whole time, like I, I, I didn't wanna be teaching high school math for my whole life. So I was still on that email train and text train and going to watch as many college practices as I could and learn from people and network. Um, and from coaching AAU actually, uh, there was an assistant at the time at St. Leo uh, who had interest or had reached out to me when I was coaching some of those kids uh, about possible opportunities. And he knew I was a young guy and this was years prior, but he's like, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. Well, he happened to be three years later, one of the guys that I'm sending an email to, figuring out if they have a position available or, or whatnot. And he, he hits me back right away like, hey, remember when I saw you coach in Kansas City or wherever. I'm pretty sure it was Kansas City. It might have been Chicago. Uh, and he's like, are you still, it looks like you're still trying to get into college coaching. I said, yes, absolutely. Do you have anything? And he's like, well, we, we may have something here at St. Leo. Can you come down and work camp? And this is like camps next week. Like this is on a Monday. Like can you come down, like I'm in Kentucky. This is Florida. <laughs> I got to figure some stuff out. But if this is opportunity this is a guy that seems genuine and, and cares about uh, me as a person whatever uh so I get get done talking with them and I, I tell my parents about him like you want to do it like are you interested and I said yeah like, let's give it a shot so I figured out long story short I come down here work the camp uh never met like coach Randall or any of the people uh, associated with St. Leo I just knew Connie Ella through for a short five minute conversation at a random AAU tournament in the Midwest. Uh, so two weeks later, I'm actually uh, working at camp at Virginia. Uh, the camp starts on a Monday, it's Sunday night, just getting settled and, and doing some things in downtown Charlottesville. And I get a call from coach Randall uh, says, hey, do you, do you want the GA position? It's, it's yours if you want it. Uh, and 
knowing what I had just been through and how hard it was now, I feel, finally figured out, like, all right, this is a hard profession to get into. Like, I better jump on this opportunity. So it wasn't, let me think about it. Like, I, I, I'm all in. Like, when do you need me there? I'll be there. I said, well, we don't need you till August, but, like, that's it's yours. Like, congratulations, whatever. Uh, so it is difficult. Like, you talk about leading after that graduation. I mean, I was a full year removed from graduation. Yes, I had some couple, couple opportunities that, I kind of quote unquote reneged on uh, to, to make some money, but uh, it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of long hours. There's a lot of stressful conversations and wondering if, if you're going to be able to, to land a spot or if this is really worth it or if it's for you, uh, a lot of that doubt can kind of creep in your mind. Like, oh, this is too far. Like, I'll just stick to this. I'll make some money and so be it. Um, and it, it was, it was definitely stressful, but I'm thankful for that kind of like perseverance period that I had to endure uh, of maybe doing some things that I didn't want to do. We talked about that at the beginning of this is like, there's things in your life that you just don't like. Like there's things that you're not going to like to do. And I, I've had to endure that. I had to endure it for, for a full academic year, at least of, of teaching high school math and um, sacrificing some things and some opportunities to, to finally get to where I want to get to. Yeah. And I want to touch on, on that a little bit, because I think, like you said, many people don't realize how tough it actually is to get into college athletics, you know, professional athletics. Uh, everyone thinks that there's lots of jobs out there, but there's a lot more people looking for them than there yeah. are uh, positions available. So you really have to work for it. But one of the things like we met at, uh, I think it was the Butler camp in 2000, what, maybe 12, 13. 13 yeah. yeah, I think it was 13. And that's when we met. And we also wound up working in Virginia, too. Um, I don't know if that was the same year you got the. I, I'm pretty sure we were walking together. Were we yeah. at dinner? I think we yeah, were at dinner downtown sure Charlottesville. So we're kind of intertwined here and connected as far as all this goes. I, I'm pretty sure that was the same night. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's fun. It's fun to to hear you say that and was there throughout that process with you at the time. But uh, let's go back to when you're starting to identify like camps to work at uh, emails. You know, there's a lot of persistence right there just doing that. And then the fact that you may not have gotten the response you wanted or an opportunity that you wanted uh, after doing that and then having to go work, um, you know, your high school doing math, but still consistently like saying, no, you know what? I'm going to keep going after this because I know it's what I want to do. You know, how did you go about finding, identifying places to work? Because also it's not so easy getting uh, positions just to work camp too. I mean, there's, or working with NBA teams. So what, what was that like and how did you identify those places? Right. So, I mean, and now I see it from the college side of things. Like we get a ton of emails from guys that want to be GAs or whatever. And like the initial responses are that position's filled, but you can come work camp. Like the easy way to get camp workers sometimes and, and figure out if they're, they're truly serious about it. Uh, and the, the sacrifice you kind of make, cause you know, like sometimes you're out your own money, you're not making much, you're traveling city to city and working five camps and three weeks and it's a grind like camp season is definitely a grind um so a lot of that came from like having uh like I coached my my AD son so he was a little bit connected on possible opening so to speak from a GA uh, but then also identifying locations whether it be from a 
uh, geographic standpoint or also like a style of play that I was interested in or, or the kind of quote unquote like culture that you see on TV or hear about identifying some of those locations like okay I'd love to go learn from them for a week or be around them for a week and see if I can pick up anything so your butlers of the world like yeah they've just been to back-to-back -back national championship games but seeing how coach Stevens carried himself and his assistants and how genuine they were and their responses and correspondence and, and trying to work camp like that always stuck out to me um and like you, sometimes you gotta just put out flyers to everyone, so to speak, and like who's gonna say yes and who's gonna say no. Uh, so there was a lot of blind emails where like maybe they had a camp opportunity, but it conflicted with one of the ones I was serious about or wanted to work and you have to say no to. Uh, but I, I think more so than anything, like I was talking about the geographic portion, but then also like who are they as people? What do they stand for? What kind of players do they have in their program? Is it somewhere that I could see, like, if there was a GA opportunity, could I see myself being happy there? Um, and that that played a huge factor um, in all of it. And, I mean, it, a lot of things can go a lot of different ways. I mean, I didn't get necessarily a job from any of those camps, but some of my closest friends and coaching are guys that I've worked those camps with. And um, looking back on it, like, that it's a it's a huge learning tool to figure out about yourself. Uh, it's a huge networking piece to to meet other people, uh, but then also in a position where I am now, I think it's an opportunity uh, to help others that are interested in the same kind of career path, so to speak. Letting them know, hey, you should look at this, or hey, you should try this camp. Maybe go work for them for a week in the summer. Uh, players that currently play for you that speak about being interested in coaching down the line. Uh, I think having those or having that experience myself going through the process allows me to help them now kind of navigate some opportunities that may exist for them. Yeah. And, and that's one thing uh, with your story. It's just one thing that's really good to remind people is that when you're going through these camps or you're even coaching, you know, that little, the elementary school team when you're in college or even when you're playing, you're in practice, it's the things that you do when no one's looking, you know, when the coach's heads turn, are you going to touch the line? Are you going to keep running when you're coaching? Are you going to do a good job, even though it's little kids that may not pay attention at the time if you're at work in camp, you know, are you going to be focused on trying to be the best camp coach you can be? when no one's looking either. So one of the things that you see throughout your story is wherever you at, wherever you're at, you try to do a really good job. And because you do that, people notice and people don't forget that. Just like probably the, uh, the coach of St. Leo at the time when he first saw you and first met you over in Kansas city or, or Chicago, wherever that was, um, you know, he saw something in you because you were doing a good job where you were at. Now you obviously wanted to get somewhere, but you were focused on doing a good job where you're at. Right. And you, you never know who's watching uh, and you only get one chance for a first impression. So even if your head's turning, you don't think someone's peeking in the door or have their eyes on you. Like that's a first impression for a, a, a lifetime that never is going to go away. That's how they're going to remember you. And sometimes you got 10 seconds to make the best first impression that you can or an opportunity is lost or a viewpoint about you is formed. Uh, that you can't get back sometimes but I think what you're talking about I, I always say this to our guys and it's something I really try to live by is just 
being where your feet are. So like my mind has to be present. Yeah, there may be 50 other things that I need to get done or talk to or whatever, but if you're sitting right in front of me, my responsibility is to be my best version for you. I need to be present, be intentional. And that starts with like understanding, all right, my feet are planted right here. My mind can't be 10 states away or five phone calls later. Like it needs to be right here. And it carries over to like a basketball standpoint, like being in the present, like be in this moment, forget about what happened three plays ago, be present, be where your feet are right now and make the most of it. I talked about earlier, like that champion mentality, like be a champion. It's written on my board in my office, like be a champion. And I can't be a champion in anything if I'm trying to be 50 different places or going through the motions. Like you talk about when someone's not watching, you talk about like the camp stuff. A lot of the kids that you're, you're coaching in camp, it's just babysitting. Like they're not there for basketball. They're there for yeah. the concession stand. They're there for their friends, like cheap babysitting for their parents for a week. Like it has nothing to do with basketball. So like you, as a guy that wants to get into coaching, they don't care if you can teach them how to dribble behind their back. Like, coach, when can I go to the concession stand? Like, yeah. how many bathroom breaks are you going to take today? Like, those kind of things are you're, you're, you're figuring out. Uh, but it goes back to, like I said, like being a champion. You got to be intentional. Um, I hate, I hate when my players go through the motions, or I hate when they put stuff off. Um, and, it, and it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning, like those qualities and characteristics that were instilled in me at an early age, uh, just carry over right now to everything that, that you do. And like, of course, like I'm far from uh, being the best at, at anything, but if I keep that mentality, I think of being intentional and being a champion and being present, uh, It'll, it'll vibrate to others talking about like people noticing and that goes for for everything that you do it can't just be when the bright lights are on or when a certain group of people are around you uh because word word travels fast so how you treat this person that you think can't do anything for you they, they may have a weird connection that you never know about and it gets to them uh five five people later and it's like yeah he treated me like a jerk he thought he was too good for me you don't want him like he's not somebody that you should surround yourself with um so you you always got to be cognizant of that and you don't have to worry about it if you're if you're true to yourself like you don't have to try to worry about putting on a different hat around a different person you can stay true to who you are as an individual no matter who you're around or what room you're in like be you be confident in who you are and what you stand for and then just be intentional with the people that uh, are put in front of you yeah, absolutely. And before we get into your college coaching, um, were there any coaches that you got to watch and learn from that you really thought highly of from camps and working with the NBA guys? Were there any guys that really stood out to you and, and why did they stand out? I, I think it's an assistant, uh, Terry Johnson, who was at Butler at the time and just got hired by Purdue. Uh, I, I remember watching his individual workouts with guys. I remember feeling his energy, no matter what day of camp it was or uh, what maybe was going on in the recruiting world. He changed coaches. Brad Stevens goes to the Celtics in the middle of the summer and he stays on with, with the new staff and uh, how he handled all of that. And then watching him on the sidelines, having some opportunities to sit behind their bench and hear his interactions with their, with their players. Uh, being in their locker room a, a couple of different times, like having, having that, uh, and he's, a, this is 
self-centered a little bit, but like he's a short guy and I'm a short guy trying to coach a bunch of tall athletic guys. <laughs> uh, so seeing like, okay, like you can relate to him no matter who you are uh, stature wise. Like if, if you, if you really care about them and they know you really care about them, like they're going to buy in, they're going to do their best to get whatever it is that you want out of them. Uh, and there was just something about him that always sticks with me. I, I just remember his personality, his charisma, uh, his positive energy, and, and how his players responded to him was a huge piece for me. So I took, a, I think, a lot from him uh, just from watching him. I've probably had four or five conversations with him in my lifetime, but just being able to watch him uh, on a on a fairly consistent basis for a couple summers um, and seasons, it, it's definitely carried with me. And I, I, I still lean on a lot of that information that I feel like I picked up from him five, six, seven years later. Um, he, he's one that definitely jumps out. Uh, my college coach, I, I still rely on a lot, um, seeing how he did some things. And then also, I've been around Coach Randall now for seven years. Uh, so what I took from him in years one, two, three, four, five, six, still play a factor in what we do in year seven. Um, and I've learned a lot from him too that I can't can't go without saying. Um, so I think if I was to give three, those those are three that definitely jump out to me. Yeah, all good ones. So you go to St. Leo as a GA. And um, you get started, you finally got your opportunity coaching. And, and what did that feel like? I'm sure, obviously, it was very exciting. But now it's like the real world. You're, you're in, the, in, in the coaching grind, for sure. Right. You're, your head's spinning fast. I, I thought, I mean, I've, I've played on good teams. I've been fortunate to learn from a lot of uh, high IQ basketball minds and comes to a situation where maybe you think more than you do or think you know more than you do. Uh, so stepping in to, uh, 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 and also like the division two level was different for me. Like I'd been around division one, I played division three NAI, been a part of really good high school teams, uh, but division two actually had zero experience in, like I, it was something totally brand new to me. Uh, so learning the ends of ins and outs at this level uh, was, was a challenge, but then also just how fast things come at you. Uh, it goes back to a little bit, you talk about, like it's hard to get into coaching and you think, you know, uh, like coaching is just on the floor, but there's so much behind the scenes, uh, administratively paperwork, but then also just the consistent and uh, efficient communication that's required uh, in your day-to-day -day operations and interactions with people across campus, within your athletic department, within your own team. Uh, things that you just kind of oh, that's somebody else's job like somebody else will take care of that will know like especially as a GA or one of the, the lower guys on the totem pole so to speak like that falls on your shoulder and you got to figure it out you can't always be going to the guy above you like hey how do you do this hey do you gotta, yeah they're going to help you but at some point hey figure it out like this is on you now you gotta you gotta get it so I think that first year specifically my head was going a million miles per hour. Uh, and the recruiting recruiting piece is a huge part of it. Like for somebody that had always been a player, you know, recruiting is like uh, the lifeline of a lot of good programs, uh, but not having any experience in that 
uh, it took a while to, to figure out and build and still building and still figuring things out and totally different recruiting now than it was in years two and three for sure. Uh, but once you, once you get into it, it never completely slows down. Like there's still days where you're like, I can't get all this done today. Like there's just, so yeah. um, and, uh, but I think just being around great people again, like I, I was a fortunate to be around, uh, some really, really good dudes, Connie Ella and coach Randall who have t- taken the time to, to really, uh, focus on me as an individual, not just as a coach and helping me grow, uh, and providing positive feedback, constructive criticism, every piece of the way. I mean, we have, we have meetings on a pretty regular basis of, of how things are going, how can I help you? Um, those conversations go a long way to help you get settled in to your own kind of niche and figuring out what works for you and timelines that work for you. Uh, so it, it's, it's been a long process, been a great one, uh, but that, that first year for sure, my head, I couldn't keep up. I, I was very thankful to be around great guys that, that helped me out a ton. Yeah, and, and were you at St. Leo for two years before you moved? Or so I, was, I was actually only here for about eight months, probably. Was uh, so it? Yeah. yeah, so Coach Randall, uh, after that first year, he took a job at Lindenwood in St. Charles, Missouri, another Division II school. Uh, and I remember it, it was Mother's Day. So coming up, I guess it'd be six years ago now, he called me over to his house and gave me the official news. We knew it was a good possibility. Uh, but gave me the official news that he had accepted it and he wanted me to go with him. So after moving from Kentucky to Florida, I was packing up my bags the next week to go from Florida to, to Missouri. Uh, so I spent spent four years there with him and now just completed my second year uh, back at St. Leo. So three total at St. Leo, four at Lindenwood, all seven uh, with Coach Randall. Um, but it was, it was a weird GA situation. Most people that get into the grad assistant position, like they're two years out of school and then you got to figure out your next step because the next GA is coming in and they got to get you out. Like you're finished with your master's and somebody else's turn kind of to, to go with it. And I think it worked out for me, a blessing in disguise is that change in location where the GA position kind of turned into more of a, an assistant position just out of necessity and changing locations and familiarity with, with how he uh, liked his program to be run and uh, me being the, the guy that he took with him, having some background information kind of catapulted me into maybe an assistant position quicker than, than some of the people would have that opportunity. Um, so it, I, I never would have knew it at the time, but it was definitely probably very fortunate that it worked out how it did. Yeah, and and you were at Lindenwood for four years. Now you're back at St. Leo. You guys just won uh, conference championship, correct? Yeah, first conference championship uh, school history this year. Uh, different year, no doubt, but whenever you can can go out on top, there, there's not much that can beat that. Yeah, absolutely, especially with the year that we've had. Uh, with COVID and all the precautions that that have to take place that people don't think about behind the scenes in basketball. There's a lot of things that go on. So right. with all those things and all the changes that occur, it's like, how do you adapt? How do you make it work? And obviously you guys did a good job of that this year. Um, it, it, it means so much more. I think when you have to go through the fire 
if it was if it was easy, everybody would be doing this. Uh, but we actually we, we had a we had a week pause right before the conference tournament. Like we had a, a guy, uh, was actually our GA who tested positive on a Friday. We had one more regular season game left, and then the conference tournament the next week, and he tested. Or, excuse me, two more, two or three. I can't remember exactly. Regardless, we had ten days off in a row going into the conference tournament without practice any guy no one's touched a ball like they have an hour each day during their quarantine to get outside and run for physical activity otherwise like they're they're legit quarantined in their room not leaving people are bringing food to them so even to come off of that and win three in a row in the conference tournament it just it, it meant so much i uh, am forever uh, in depth to these guys for the, the amount of sacrifices that they made, uh, their, their genuine care for each other. I mean, we, we had a very balanced group, a very caring group, and a group that was all about winning. It was really fun to coach, really fun to be around despite uh, all, the, all the protocols and hoops we had to jump through to, to get to where we wanted to get to, where some people weren't able to play a game all year. So we're definitely thankful on our end that we were fortunate enough to, to get a season and get a championship out of it. Uh, but it's also left a, a taste in their mouth where they want more, knowing and hoping that next year is more of a true season and true um, approach to winning championships and so on and so forth. So we got a lot of guys hungry uh, for that next, next step, that next bite, so to speak. And I think, I think it's going to, it's got a chance to be really special. I'll say that. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. You know, the title of this podcast is building excellence. And so it, uh, building is a process. It takes time. It's not some overnight thing. And so also you've touched on so many great, great things, but, uh, once people taste success or they taste a little bit of something, uh, positive, it allows them to believe in themselves, to have more confidence. Like, Hey, we we did it and we can do it again, but we can actually build upon that. But it's a process of a lot of hard work and a culmination of all of that to get to the point to where you're at. Right. And you can't build if you don't have a solid foundation. Like you cannot build. So I think a lot of times, like this is our second year back, there there was a lot of guys that like we didn't recruit or we didn't know much about, like guys that you inherit maybe from a, a previous coaching staff. So coming in and trying to establish the culture that uh, you want and that we we culture of excellence is kind of what we preach, like a culture of excellence. Uh, it's one of our core values uh, within our program, within our university. And excellence is one of those words, when you're talking about being great, it sometimes gets overlooked. Like what is, what is excellence? Like, what is that? And I think like for us, it goes back to that mentality of being a champion. Like give your best every single time and you may not win a championship next year like you may not but you can't go through the motions and, and expect it like you have to put your best foot forward every single day the days that you're feeling great the days that you're feeling under the weather or you, you had a poor performance on a test or there's a friendship that's going on a wire mom and dad or have some stuff going on back home whatever it is like putting that kind of behind you uh or dealing with it on, on different parameters uh but just being great in everything every single day it's an everyday thing and of course you're going to have better days than others uh but the the excellence piece is, is crucial and for us it, it did it, it takes some time to like lay that foundation 
but now that you're talking about like they've tasted it and we feel confident with with the foundation that we've established now like the building part takes place you start putting the pieces together uh on, on a more concrete basis uh to get to where you want to get to and all of it all of it can fall apart in a heartbeat too if you don't if you don't have something to, to go back on something underneath you uh that that holds you up and i think for us we're, we're at a point uh, not just from a basketball standpoint, but just from an overall character culture standpoint of our program where we can't take take the right steps forward. Yeah, and and to touch on something, you know, there's always been distractions like, you know, we had distractions growing up, but it's obviously kind of been more advanced recently where you've got so many distractions going on for, you know, the guys that come in and play for you from middle school, high school, college. Uh, how do you go about coaching guys when there's so many things going on and how do you get the best out of guys when there's so many things that can be distractions? Yeah. And the, the social media world, like obviously social media has its, its positive uh, that you can take from it, but there's a lot of negative uh, that can come from it as well. And it allows everybody to have an opinion and everybody to have a voice. Uh, so something that we, we always talk about with our guys is, the most important voice that you hear is your own. Like you're the one talking to yourself. It's your voice in your head saying whether that person's right or this person has a good idea uh, or what kind of effort I'm going to put forward that day or am I good enough, not good enough? What kind of shooter am I? Like what is your voice telling you? Not what is, what is social media telling you? What are your parents telling you? What are your brothers, sisters, boyfriend, girlfriend? Like what are they telling you? Like what are you telling yourself? I think that really matters. Uh, because it's the voice you hear most. Like it, it is. Like we're we're constantly, whether we think we are or we're not, we're we're talking to ourselves. Like we have our thoughts, we have our opinions, and they're running through our head at a at a vibrant race all day long. Um, some people lose sleep at night because you you're, you can't get out of your own way in your own head. Uh, but we always make a big deal, like uh, in our settings, like whether it's on a bus or team meals or in the locker room, like the phones are turned off. Uh, we want them to be where their feet are. We want them to have genuine conversations, look their teammates in their eyes, look their professors in their eyes. Same thing when they go to class, we require like the two rows in the middle, no cell phones, no hats, like all of those things. So they can be more present. Uh, we understand like they're going to go back to their dorms or apartments or their living situations and be able to hear all the stuff that maybe they've uh, kind of not heard for that day. But if, if you have great leaders within your team, not just from coaches, but your team captains and your upperclassmen or, or guys that uh, you've established within your program as, as the leaders, and that can be anybody, it could be a freshman or a four-year senior, doesn't matter. Like uh, some people have it more naturally than others and some people do it by example, but you can't do any, all the distractions are gonna win out if you don't have a strong culture. If they're going to win out. There's just too many of them that exist. Uh, so you got to really have your, your hands and grips and you got to trust your guys too. Like, I think a lot of that for us comes in the recruiting process, making sure that we're recruiting guys of, of high character and stability uh, that understand that uh, it's bigger than them. Like they got to get over themselves. Uh, we always talk about it's a Popovich thing. Like we want guys that we can lose with because uh, when things are going bad, it can go really, really bad in a hurry if you're not careful. 
Uh, so having guys that that we know when when the fire is hot, that we can be right there with them and and step out of it on the other side and and be better from it. I think that's a huge piece of it. Uh, but can't do any of that either if you don't care about them and showing that on a, on a daily basis, not just at practice, not just during the games, like they go home for summer break or you're not talking to them for the next three months, like being intentional in their lives. Uh, sometimes there's things that they want you to know and don't want you to know that are private, whatever, but uh, you, you gotta, you gotta really, really work uh, to be more than just their coach at, at practice for the two hours or during the, during the game. Yeah. You, you gotta work harder than that. Yeah. And I want to go back to that self-talk point that you just mentioned. You ever listen to John Gordon, heard of John Gordon? Yeah, John Gordon. Uh, we, we actually read, we read the energy bus Okay. Uh, as a team. So we're talking about the energy vampires and everything that come along with kind of like that self-doubt and uh, we do that every year with our guys at, at the first year we ran it as coaches, uh, but now we kind of delegated to our captains or guys that have went through the process with us uh, to kind of spearhead that lead it. And it, it plays huge dividends. Like we've, we've seen guys make monumental shifts in their everyday approach just from reading his books. Uh, we've read training camp as a team as well. Uh, but he's really big on the positive energy and how contagious that is and uh, how you respond to things. And all of that plays a huge factor on a team setting, but also on an individual basis. Uh, because if you're not adding to it, you're definitely subtracting. Um, and you can't just be lukewarm. You can't be neutral. Uh, you got to be moving forward. Uh, so having some of his characteristics and qualities, it does play a factor in that, that mental, mental voice that we talked about. Absolutely. And and one of the things that he said, there's a guy that I can't remember his name, but he's like the first guy to do a double Ironman back to back or something like that. But he asked him for the best advice he ever received. And, and he said that I've learned to um, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listening to myself. And I thought that was a really good point. Kind of goes back to that, that self-talk because we can listen to ourselves and all the stuff that gets in our head. And it can say, you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Uh, there's no reason for you to do it. Instead, learning how to develop habits to get yourself talking to yourself, like positive self-talk. It doesn't have to be, you know, off in the clouds type positivity, but it, it can be real positivity where you can be consistent and, and learn to train yourself to think positive and to have that self-talk. How do you feel like, what are some ways where you can do that, implement it on a daily basis? I think in our in our profession, in our line of work, some of the best things that I can do is just go rebound for a player, uh, because when it's just me and him at a basket, the the walls sometimes come down, and you can kind of figure out all right what's going on in their life, and could be great, could be all fine and dandy, but sometimes you figure out it's not all fine and dandy, and there's some real serious stuff uh, that goes on that maybe they don't want everybody, their teammates or other coaches to know, and they just have that like loose moment where they're, they're candid and let you know. Uh, but then also, I think when, when we're talking about building that up, it, it comes with who we are as coaches too. Like if we're constantly barking at them and telling them what they're not good at or where they're letting the team down, like, of course we have to hold them accountable. Like you talk about that excellence and building that, 
standard. Like that stuff matters, but how do we help them get there in a positive way? Uh, and I always, always go with the Oreo method and a lot of, a lot of things I do, like the good uh, on both sides and maybe the bad in the middle, start with something positive, uh, throw something in in the middle where it's like, okay, we need to be better at this or this is unacceptable. Like can't let this happen again and then finish with something good. Like start in conversations, building up as opposed to tearing down. I think is a, a huge way to it. And sometimes I'm not always the best at that. Like you just got to get the point across quick and get it to them. Uh, but I'm trying really, really hard uh, about being a positive voice in their life. Like you talk about who they're surrounded with. Um, they they have to have coaches that, that let them know they believe in them, that they can do this, uh, that this may be just a, a bad stretch in the season or a bad stretch in play or the, the adversity that they're going through right now is not going to last forever. Um, so trying to, trying to really focus on that and the, your, the words, the body language uh, that I have as a coach. Um, I mean, there's days where you're exhausted or you're tired or you're running from meeting to meeting or putting a film edit together and right out onto the floor for a workout or practice. And like, you got just like we asked for them for the distraction, you got to leave that behind as a coach too. Like you got to be able to step in to those two hours or it could be a 30 minute workout. Like they're yours now, like who, who you are, what vibes you're giving off, the, the body language that you have, the tone of voice that you use, they, they pick up on it real quick. Um, so trying to live by like what you preach to them and carry that out and everything that you do, it, it there's no replacement for like you have to have to be on top of your stuff um and I think that carries over to them and that voice that they're using like hey coach coach may be having a million things going on but for that 30 minutes man I got his best like I got I owe it to him to give my best for the next 30 uh or coach man he he really believes in me like I don't want to let him down those same kind of things that I think I used uh as an individual for myself try to help them with as as players now uh, for them yeah and, and talk on talk on the body language part for a second because i know everyone we always talk about you know talk self-talk um talking to other people but i've always thought that body language is so important having good body language it's something that that doesn't get talked about very often but is so key to being a good player to being not just good in basketball but good in life and business and parenting everything Talk about that real quick and just what right. you think about that. When you step into a room, you don't have to say a word for somebody to know who you are as a person or what you're feeling. I, I think that's critical. We talked about that first impression. It, it maybe never comes with a conversation. Like that first impression can be how you carry yourself, uh, the facial expressions that you use. Are, are you smiling? Like, are you yeah. smiling? Not everybody's a smiler. Not everybody's a laugher, <laughs> but like that, that stuff matters. And it really matters to your guys. Like they can, they know right away when I'm stressed out or when something's not going my way, just from a, a peek in my door uh, or the tone of voice maybe that I'm having. And I'm a, like, I'm a huge, uh, like wake up early, run, get my workout in like kind of stuff in the morning, the days that I'm not able to do that, I have to really check myself because I know it's a lot easier for me on those days to be short tempered or angry or come across as a way that I don't mean, like, I really don't mean it, but I know I haven't like, been able to really focus in like those times in, in the morning for me or times where I can like okay this 
this is what I need to do today. This is who I need to be. Um, and, and helps me out that way. But like the body language piece, like I said, you don't have to say a word and somebody, somebody can read you just like a book. Uh, so very, being very cognizant of that, I try always uh, to, to enter rooms with smiles, uh, no matter what room I'm stepping into, uh, the things you do with your hands and your feet and your, your arms, like all of that matters, your eye rolls, your, your facial expressions, when you hear something, all of that, uh, it, it is, it's super critical. And like you said, you, you may not know eyes are on you, we talked about earlier, but eyes are on you. And it, it could be somebody that you don't think plays a huge factor or it could be the most important person you'll ever meet, you never know. Uh, so being cognizant of that in, in every room that you step into. Yeah, body language is so important. And just something as simple as having a smile uh, is something that can really change the dynamic of a room. As, as cheesy as that might sound, it's very important. Um, and I, I want to touch on this too, because you were talking about having, uh, you know, working out in the mornings. And I wanted to ask you, you have a morning routine that you go off of and how does that get your day going right? Um, and just describe that real quick. Yeah, every, every single day. Um, so Monday through Saturday, uh, like I'm waking up, I, I, I'm a runner. I used to hate running when I played. Like I was not somebody that enjoyed conditioning. I never thought I would be a runner. Uh, but I, I try to run at least four miles every morning. And then I'll finish my, my run with like what I call my Jesus walk, uh, like pulling myself down, but also having my daily conversations uh, with him, uh, whether it be through prayer or just things that are, are going through my head. Uh, and it really relaxes me, calms me down, uh, allows me to have, I think, a, a positive perspective for the day and approach it um, in, a, in a healthy manner. And then I'll, I'll do uh, my little like, lift. I'm not a huge like, weightlifting guy, but I do like to do a little bit of it. So I'll do that Monday through Saturday, like religiously. I mean, it's, it's every single day. Uh, then Sunday is a little bit different. Like I always always start my Sunday before I do anything else with, with a church uh, service. The last couple of years it's had to be online uh, most times, but I won't, I won't do anything on Sunday, like work related or anything until I've, I've had my, my church service and that time, uh, but then I'll, I'll get on with my day, but that, that's how, that's how my days start. Um, and there's, there's some days where, all right, you got a staff meeting at 8 a.m. I right, may mean, May mean I need to wake up at five today versus waking up at six or six thirty or seven to get my run in. Uh, but I I do, and, and being in Florida, you don't want to wait till three o'clock to run. I'll tell you that yeah. it's, it's too hot, uh, so you got to beat the sun up sometimes for that. Uh, but that that is it, it's crucial. Like I said, when when I skip one of those days, I I notice it right away in my demeanor, my behavior, my body language, my communication and tone with whether it be players or friends or coworkers, uh, I, I always notice that there's, there's huge differences. And sometimes uh, there's, there's situations and circumstances that come up that prohibit me from, from getting that uh, time in in the morning. Uh, but I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time, that's, that's how I'm starting my, my days. Yeah, I mean, when you bench press 400 pounds, yeah, that's bound to get you <laughs> woken up. That's not me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what about for somebody that says, oh, well, that's all great. 
um, you know, he can do it, but I'm just not, I'm not that disciplined. I don't want to wake up in the morning. How can people take little increments where they can start having more of a consistent lifestyle where they have a routine? I, I also like the 1% mentality, like getting better 1% every single day. You do that for 365 days a year. You've got 365% better. Like you got to look at it, I think in short chunks versus the, the, lar- the long-term or, or larger chunks. Um, and that could be, that could be, you talk about the habits, like it could be something as simple as like where you put your workout gear or where you put your shoes in the morning, like what, what time you go to bed, uh, people that like to read or, or don't like to read. I'll, I, I picked this up from someone like putting a book on your pillow uh, when you leave that way, when you come home before you can, you can go to sleep at night, like you see that book, you're more apt to open that book and maybe read a couple pages in it. Versus if it's sitting on a shelf out of the way, you never have to move it. It's comfortable right where it is versus going out of the way. So being intentional about that. And then over time, like maybe you're not a runner. Maybe you're not a reader. Maybe you're not a, a healthy eater. But how you how you approach the, the short-term aspect of it and then also having an accountability partner, I think is a huge deal, whether that's journaling yourself and you're you're, you're going back and forth maybe internally uh, or you have someone externally that, that's going through the process with you and um, maybe you have bad days together, but you have good days together too, uh, where they're, they're having the same struggle, so to speak, that maybe you're having, or maybe they've been great at it for the last 10 years of your life and they're just there as a, as a helping hand and a source for you uh, are huge pieces. And it goes back to like, who, who, what matters to you, you'll, you'll make time for, like what matters to you, you'll definitely find a way to, to make it happen. So if you're intentional about being more disciplined or waking up earlier, going to sleep earlier, whatever the situation is, you'll, you'll find a way. You'll definitely find a way. Yeah. And I was about to joke, you know, it's like, well, if you put it on your, your nightstand, you can at least read the, the cover of the book, you know, but honestly, I mean, that, that really is that, that 1% get started doing that and then read the next page and read a couple pages and it builds, it compounds, you know, like consistency compounds. And then I think, uh, I think John Wooden had a quote that I've always loved. It's, it's, um, you know, the smallest deed is better than the greatest intention. So how do you, how do you take those steps where you actually can consistently make progress towards something that you want to be doing? So that's great stuff. Do you have any books, favorite books that you've read or any, any material you listen to? Do you like? Uh, so I, I listen, one of my favorite podcasts is the Locker Room Podcast. It actually comes from uh, a church back home, but it's focused on the, the male uh, side of things and maybe conversations that occurred that could only occur in a locker room, but more uh, motivational and guys that have been through maybe similar situations as myself. It's one of my favorite uh, things to listen to. They're on a little bit of a summer break right now, but the Locker Room Podcast is huge for me. I'm a big Bob Goff guy, so all of his books, Love Does, Everybody Always, Dream Big. Uh, those are three of my, my favorite that I can just recycle through. They're easy reads, but there's so many short one-liners that can apply to every single day life. Uh, how you treat people, how you view yourself, how you view others um, that, that I love. Um, those would be my favorites. Uh, I've kind of got more into recently, more of uh, like the music side of things, like uh, the lyrics from songs. And I'm doing a lot of 
uh, listening there to the the Cody Carnes of the world and, and Hill songs of the world that uh, again, like what you're feeding yourself, I think matters. And uh, hearing this positive song lyrics go a long way in your daily mood and your interactions. Uh, so trying to get rid of maybe some of the the other things that I was feeding uh, my brain through music, I think it's been a huge deal. Um, but I, I think that's that's where I am right now. The locker room podcast is huge for me. Uh, and the Bob Goff books are my favorite. Like I, I, like I said, I've probably read Love Does 50, 60 times. Like I just keep reading it because there's so many things from it uh, that, that I love. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a fun guy to listen to, watch, and then read from, but he's a great example as well. Mm-hmm. You talk about faith a lot. Why is faith so important to you in your life? Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be anything without it. I think it's as, as simple as that. I was uh, in a situation like Mother's Day coming up. I, I'm so thankful. It was really my mom, uh, both my parents, but really my mom and my, my grandmother and grandfather on her side that uh, put that foundation or at least um, idea on the back of my head that there's something bigger than myself out there and what you're living for. Uh, so I'm thankful for that, but I think in our in our setting in the the athletic world or the business world, even like you get so caught up in uh, like that next move or uh, like in our our profession, it's winning and losing, and for the sales world, it's that next sale, and there's a lot of ways you can do that that uh, are shortcuts or maybe not the right way to do it, and. Uh, it's all caught up in winning. And I always tell people like I, the, the, the best win of my life was giving my life over like to someone that's not in a game and somebody that physically I've never met before in my life. But when, when Jesus went to the cross and rose from the grave, like that's, that's all I need to know about winning. Um, the, the empty tomb and the empty grave is, is the number one win uh, that, that me, myself, and other believers, I think, will ever have in our life. Uh, and that's, that's without question. And that, that definitely shapes everything that I do, um, how I treat people, talking about like the serving mentality, all of that. Uh, it, it all comes back to my faith. Um, I don't I don't, I don't take it lightly. I'll say that. Um, there's obviously things I need to improve and be better with, but, um, there, there's, there's, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be where I am without, without that. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the things as you've talked, a lot of the things you talked about are really, um, you know, biblical principles that you try to model to your guys as a coach, as a leader, serving them, caring for them like what a what a great example uh within the bible so that's really important but um you know i want to wind it down here um i want to ask you some questions first uh you know what what would you define like building excellence what does that mean to you and and what is that uh what do you think about when you think about that building excellence to me is ever it's an everyday thing we talk about it not taking days off uh but just putting your best foot forward um, on a daily basis, doing things that you don't like to do, having conversations that you don't like to have. Uh, but 
having a mentality of giving anything less than my best is unacceptable. And it may not result in instant success. It may not result in uh, the, the satisfactory or recognition or acknowledgement that I think comes uh, with it. But being able to go to, to bed at night or, or rest with myself that, you know what, I gave my best today. I gave my best. And eventually that's going to be enough. We talked about the 1% better. Like at some stage, if I keep staying persistent and putting my best foot forward and giving my best effort, at some stage it's going to pay off. And you can't, you can't do that if you're, if you're taking days off or you're, you're caught up in yourself uh, when things aren't going your way. Uh, so like the building excellence thing, like it, you just can't, you can't relax. Like you can't just be when you feel like it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be every day and anything worth, worth accomplishing, like comes through hard work. And I forget who says it, but, uh, everything that you want in life is on the other side of hard. Like you gotta get through the hard stuff. Uh, and then everything that you want is going to be on the other side of that. And I think the building excellence mentality comes with going through hard things. Yeah, that's so good. That's a, that's a great way to sum it up. But um, we'll end by doing a little fire round here. Okay. So I'll say a word and then you just, you, you just say whatever comes to your mind, right? Okay. So discipline comes from? Hard work. My mission is? To help others. If I could do it all over again, I would? Not trade a thing. You can do anything if? Put your mind to it and have great people around you. Confidence comes from? Preparation. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it, man. There's been such great, great stuff you just shared. Uh, if someone wants to obviously follow you guys, play basketball, but if someone wants to get into contact with you or follow you, what, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, I give my cell phone to anybody, 606-584-9014. It's been the same since sixth grade. Anybody can reach out anytime. Uh, I'm more than happy to, to talk. I appreciate you having me on. I'm really looking forward to the following future podcasts and hearing some stories from some other people, but this, this has been great. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show, Ryan. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.